Tonight we're going to be in the first part of Proverbs chapter 8, and it's sort of an interesting chapter, especially as we've gone through the first seven chapters, because you're going to see that it's, it's almost a microcosm of much of what we've already read and much of what we've already learned so far. We're going to see an invitation from wisdom. We've seen that before. We're going to see a description of wisdom. We've seen that before as well. We're going to see its values and its benefits. We've seen those things before too. And so we're going to revisit a few very important ideas to make sure that we have a solid understanding. And I believe Solomon gives us this sort of recap for at least two reasons. First is it sets us up for the end of this chapter. And we won't cover that part tonight, but Lord willing, next week we will. And beginning in verse 22, I do want to read a few verses here, but starting in verse 22, Solomon is going to explain how important wisdom was to God even during creation. And if it was that crucial for God as he created, then how crucial is it for man in this creation? So look at, look at verse 22. This is wisdom speaking. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no strings abound, uh, springs abounding with water. And we could keep reading in their similar language for the next few verses. But then skip down and look at verse 35 and 36 and, and how the chapter ends with a very important message to us. Wisdom says, For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. That's some strong words. And so I believe that we know it's true that we can't overstate the importance of wisdom. So we need to make sure that we know what wisdom is. So we need this recap. It's, it's time for that as Solomon is going through this. And I think that's one reason he does it. And the second reason um, is because we're also nearing the end of this first major section of Proverbs. Um, we're finally getting close to those quick one-liner truth nuggets that Proverbs is so famous for. But they won't make sense. They won't be applied correctly. They will do us no good if we're not looking at them through wisdom's lenses. And so before chapter 10, and chapter 10 is where we begin all these quick bullet points, Solomon stops to remind us of some very important points that he's made throughout. Um, it's sort of like a teacher recapping, uh, recapping a lesson they taught you last week. And they say, look, before we move on, remember what we looked at last week. And, and Solomon is kind of doing that. And so here's how we're going to break down. We'll look at the first 21 verses uh, tonight. And here's, here's how we'll break down the recap. The first five verses, we'll see another call from, from wisdom. It will be another invitation from Lady Wisdom to listen and to learn from her. And then beginning in verse 6, we're going to see wisdom's connection with morality. In verse 6 through 9, we're going to see that. And Solomon is going to describe wisdom in a way that we'll see it's inseparable from morality. It's inseparable from righteousness. And then he brings that thought up again in verse 12 through 14. I've put up here on the slide, wisdom's morality 
you know, part two, but they sort of go together here. So we'll see that. And then in these verses 12 through 14, we're also going to spend some time revisiting the very important phrase, fearing the Lord. All right, fear of the Lord. Um, and we'll talk about that again. And then finally, in verse 10 and 11, we're reminded of wisdom's priceless value, uh, of how, how priceless it is. Uh, and then in verse 15 through 21, sort of a continuation of this is the, the invaluable resources and blessings that wisdom can offer. Um, wisdom is crucial in having any sort of success in God's creation. So, let's look at the first five verses. Remember, I'm reading from the ESV, and Solomon says, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. If you'll turn over to chapter 1 and look at verse 20 through 23, uh, you, you'll be reminded of that other invitation that, that Lady Wisdom gave us very early in the work. Uh, in chapter 1 and verse 20, Solomon wrote, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And so chapter 8 sort of echoes that, that call that Lady Wisdom gave us earlier. And as we hear this invitation again, we're reminded of, of a few important truths. So I want to I give you two of those. One is that do not forget that wisdom is actively searching for students. Wisdom is looking for you. And then secondly, wisdom will teach anyone who will listen. The excuse of ignorance is off the table because wisdom is trying to get your attention. She's calling out for you. She's roaming around the marketplace. She's walking near the city gates at intersections, at entrances. Wisdom is not a hermit who isolates herself in a remote cave. And she's not an arrogant prestigious queen who is off limits to the commoners. I've said before that God's wisdom walks around in tennis shoes. Wisdom is not for just universities or laboratories. She's for the ballpark. She's at Walmart. She's at the laundromat. Wherever people are, wisdom is there calling and inviting. And she'll call, and she does call, anyone who is willing to listen. God's wisdom is not restricted to the elite people of this world. You don't have to be rich, tall, good-looking, powerful, or important to possess God's wisdom and to learn from Him. It's attainable for anyone who will listen and obey. That's awesome. That's such a wonderful and merciful thing because if you remember from one of our earliest lessons, we looked in Job 28. And in Job 28, the author of Job told us, even though wisdom is priceless, men don't even know where to look. It's not like a gold mine or a silver mine where we just start digging. We can't get wisdom that way. Even if we did realize that we needed it, we can't get it. 
Only God knows where true wisdom can be found, and so it's merciful that He revealed it to us and that wisdom came looking for us. Because we would know nothing of God and nothing of His wisdom had He not revealed Himself to us in the first place. So be so thankful that this is true about wisdom. He has revealed Himself, and no matter who we are, we have the opportunity to accept the wisdom of God and learn from Him. And that's even more remarkable when we do remember where this chapter is headed. To creation itself. Wisdom was a foundational principle for the entire universe. And yet we start with just this call of wisdom in the streets. So one author says this, and I love this quote. He said, a chapter which is to soar beyond time and space opens at street level. To make it clear first that the wisdom of God is as relevant to the shopping center as to heaven itself. If you think you can't learn God's wisdom until you get to heaven, you don't understand God's wisdom. It's for right now. And that's great for us. So the Almighty Creator has made available to anyone who will listen right now His transcendent, powerful wisdom. So one man says, The attainment of wisdom is not a quest, but a response. You don't have to go looking for wisdom if she's looking for you. You just need to listen and obey. Another man said it this way, Our failure and foolishness is not for lack of his voice, but for lack of our listening. Will you listen to Lady Wisdom? Or will you let the noise of this world drown out her voice and not pay attention to God's word? Too many people listen to the wrong people. This world is filled with that. Listen and learn from God's wisdom. Some people may say, well, look, Brother Matt, that's, that's great, but I'm, I'm not that smart. I don't know if I'm smart enough to, to learn God's wisdom. She may be calling people, but I don't think I'm invited. I'm no genius. Well, part of the beauty of God's wisdom is that it has nothing to do with your IQ. It's not at all about how smart you are because it's not an academic pursuit. It's moral it's relational. And so look at the next few verses and look where Solomon turns next as he describes wisdom. Let's read verse 6 through 9 and then we'll jump to 12 through 14. But I want you to notice how Solomon describes wisdom. Notice all of the moral words. Verse 6, Hear, for I will speak noble things. From my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Look at verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. 
I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. In this description of wisdom, we should see that wisdom is about morality, not intelligence. One author said it like this, attainment of biblical wisdom is not so much a matter of intellect as it is faith and obedience. Nowhere in this description that we just read of wisdom did Solomon give an IQ requirement. Wisdom didn't ask how smart you are, how academic you are. The word genius is not in here. Nothing like that. And that's very important, maybe for two reasons. One is because not all of us are geniuses. I'm not one of those. I'm not a genius. But two, more importantly, the core of what wisdom truly is is not about intelligence or intellect. You don't have to be brilliant to be wise. It's more about how you live. It's about morality and your relationship with God and with other people. In one of our very first lessons, I, I, we looked at the word wisdom in the Old Testament. I made the point where the idea of wisdom, it has the idea of being skillful in some area. Even we might even say talented in some area or that you have mastered something. And so when we're talking about wisdom here, what are we trying to be skilled in? Life. We want to master living. We want to have talent in, in our lives. And what that means, since, since God is the creator of this world and the giver of life, we want to be skilled and talented in living successfully here in his creation for him. You say, well, what are his ways then? If I, if I want to be skilled in God's ways, what are his ways? Well, think about what God is. If someone asks you to describe God, what are a few attributes and characteristics that you, would, that you would list? He's loving. He's holy. He's righteous. He's good. He's moral. He's kind. He's patient. He hates evil. Didn't that sound a lot like what we just read about wisdom and the truth and the righteousness and the hatred of evil and all of those things that Lady Wisdom described herself as having? God's wisdom will make us more like God. And so in verse 14, let's, let's skip to that verse, and I want to spend some time to, again, revisit this phrase, fear of the Lord. Verse 13, we read, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. I've had some people even ask some, uh, some more questions about this and, and, and say they would like to talk about it you know, even more. So hopefully this will help to revisit this very important idea and we went over some of this in our in our second or third lesson but again an important review there are five ways that the word fear is used in the old testament two of those are probably the the initial ones we think of when we hear the word fear we think of the emotion of fear you know, being afraid of something or even anticipating uh you know that something might happen kind of being nervous or anxious something like that and so um, those, are, those are in the Old Testament, and that's part of this word. Um, again, probably what comes to our mind first when we think of fear. This is that emotional response where we are actually trembling. Our knees are shaking. We're biting our fingernails. We're, we're nervous. That's what this kind of fear is. And it's not completely absent or removed from the thought of fearing God. 
I used this quote in an earlier lesson. One commentator said, anyone who can think of God and shrug is not thinking of the God of Scripture. In Exodus, when God descended on Mount Sinai, and the children of Israel were there, and he descended on that mountain in clouds and smoke and lightning and earthquakes, the Israelites were literally shaking. They were terrified. They were frightened. One place uh, in chapter 19 of Exodus says that all the people in the camp trembled. They even told Moses, you go talk to God. Don't let him talk to us lest we die. You can tell us what he says, but do not let him speak to us. They were actually afraid. When we come face to face with an all-powerful, all-knowing, holy God, it's humbling. It's fearful. But this emotion of fear is just a very small aspect of what Solomon means in, in Proverbs when he talks about fearing the Lord. It's not absent from it, but it is a, it's a tiny percentage of it here. There's another way that it's used in the Old Testament. It has to do with this reverential awe, and sometimes we say that as well. Sometimes this word is used not to signify being afraid, but just having that that humble respect that you're supposed to have for someone. It was used of children fearing their parents. It meant that they should have a humble respect for them. It was used for people respecting a holy place and things like that. And so, of course, we should have this humble, reverential awe of God is. I think it has the idea of an awareness of who God is and an awareness of who we are. That should humble us. Fearing God doesn't necessarily mean we're afraid of God. Like if something, if we do something wrong, he's going to zap us with a lightning bolt immediately. That, that's not what fearing God is. But it should create an awe in us when we realize who he is and who we are. So those, those first three aspects are probably not news to you. You understand what fear is, and you've heard the reverential awe uh, explanation about how we're to fear God before, I'm sure. But there are two other ways that the word fear is used in the Old Testament, and one in particular really gives us a lot of insight into what Solomon meant in Proverbs when he spoke of fearing the Lord. So the last two ways it's used, one is that it's used of righteous behavior or morality, and the other one is it can be used to describe formal religious worship. All right, so it can be associated, number four, on your slides, with righteous actions, with obedience, with morality, with, with not sinning. And then also with worshiping God according to his standards. Now, in Proverbs, we don't have much at all about formal worship. All right, it's, it's more about daily life than daily temple life. But we do have a lot in Proverbs about fierce connection with obedience. And we have it throughout the Old Testament as well. So I want to show you a few examples um, because the idea of fearing the Lord being righteous behavior and obedience and being moral, that is a major part of what Solomon means in, in, in Proverbs. So um, I'm going to go to Exodus 20 and verse 20 and read a, read a verse here. This is... Uh, when Moses responds to the people when they're at Mount Sinai, all right, and they have said, you go talk to God, 
We don't, we don't want to hear from him. You tell us what he said. And um, Exodus 20, 20, if you know what just happened, they, they just received the Ten Commandments. All right? And so Moses said to the people in verse 20, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. This is a fascinating verse to me because it begins with Moses telling the people not to be afraid. Do not fear. But then he says, God's testing you so that his fear may be before you. Well, is Moses confused? Is he contradicting himself here? No, but notice the end of the verse. Okay, The reason and the result and the purpose of fearing God is that you may not sin. And so the point, the result, the purpose of fearing God is not to be frightened, but to be obedient. That's what Moses was telling the people. Fearing God should have promoted and motivated their obedience and their willingness to serve this God that they've, that they've seen descend on the mountain and that has given them His commands. He just gave them the Ten Commandments. Now his fear is before them so that they'll follow him. So that they may not sin. There are many other verses in the Old Testament that connect fearing God with obeying him. Fearing God with serving him. I'm going to give you a few. And uh, we looked at some of these in, in one of our earlier lessons. Joshua 24, 24 says, Fear the Lord and serve him. In sincerity and faithfulness. There's fear in serving. 1 Samuel 12, 24. Fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. There's the connection again. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Solomon's, uh, one, of, one of Solomon's other writings. He said, fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. There's a link between fearing God and obeying what He says to do. And then finally, Job 28, 28. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And notice the parallel of the verse. And to turn away from evil is understanding. And now we see in Proverbs 8, 13, this phrase, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Which means, to go back to Exodus 20, 20, you may not sin. There is a close connection between fearing God and living the way He wants you to. Of being obedient, being moral servants. And that's probably the biggest aspect of what it means to fear the Lord in Proverbs. It's not about being scared. And it's, there's not much in Proverbs at all about formal worship anyway. But there is a whole lot about how we live. There's a whole lot about saying no to sin and saying yes to good things. That's wisdom. I used the phrase earlier in, in one of our early lessons that fearing the Lord is both the doorway and the pathway of wisdom. Solomon sort of began his whole work with that idea. So I want to try and blend it together and tie it together here. And I hope, I hope this helps. If fearing the Lord has a lot to do with obedience, and it does, 
we've seen that. There's surely a connection between fearing Him and serving Him. And if fearing the Lord also has a lot to do with wisdom, and it absolutely does, right? Solomon made that clear from the very beginning of Proverbs. Then wisdom has a lot to do with obedience. That's why wisdom is described in such moral words rather than such intellectual words. Righteous, truth, not crooked, hating evil, hating wickedness, not brain power. It's about what you, what you do in your life and how you live. You say, well, how do I know if I'm wise then? That seems like a really tough question, doesn't it? How do I know if I'm wise? It's actually not that tough. It's sort of like someone asking the question, how do you know if you're following God's Spirit? You say, that's another tough question, Brother Matt. No, it's not. It sounds tough initially. But the New Testament tells us exactly what God's Spirit produces in someone's life. If someone's life is characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they're following God's Spirit. They absolutely are. Because those are things God's Spirit produces in his or her life. Wisdom is similar. How do you know if you're wise? Are you obeying God or not? Can your life be characterized by the good, truthful, righteous, ethical, moral words that wisdom used to describe herself? I'm not saying it's not a deep question, but the answer is not that tough. A wise person obeys God. In fact, in verse 19... Just skip there for just a second and notice that wisdom, she talks about her fruit when she's talking about her benefits or rewards. And I just thought that was interesting uh, with the idea of the Holy Spirit produces fruit. And now here is wisdom talking about her fruit. Someone who's living immorally, someone who's rejecting God, that's not a wise person. I don't care how smart they are. They're not wise. But if you're obeying God... You're wise. So wisdom is as available as obedience. She's calling and inviting everyone, but not everyone's willing to listen, not everyone's willing to obey. I like the way how uh, one author transitioned out of this description of wisdom, though, into the value of wisdom. And he said, the availability of wisdom, the availability of wisdom to all does not mean that she is cheap or common. I like that. So look at verse 10 and 11 and notice how Solomon reminds us again of the value of wisdom. Wisdom is still talking to us and she says, Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Job talked about the surpassing value of wisdom in Job 28. We've listened to that. Solomon has done it before in Proverbs. And so he's repeating himself yet again because we, we are stubborn sometimes. We need to grasp that wisdom is worth more than all the money in the world. 
The love of money is the root of all evil, but wisdom, which hates evil, is worth more than money anyway. And I love the way Solomon phrased it at the end of the verse, the end of verse 11. He said, all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Some other uh, translations say, all desirable things cannot compare with her. The point Solomon is making is, whatever your wildest dream is, if you had a blank check from this world, and could cash it. Whatever that is can't even compare to the value of God's wisdom. Nothing in this world that is desirable, nothing that brings pleasure, that brings uh, delight, equates to God's wisdom. Made me think of Brother Connor's Sunday School lesson once again in Matthew. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What have you really gained? nothing wisdom is priceless at least partly the reason she's priceless is because of the benefits and the success and the, and the value that we have from her look at verse 15 through 21 let's start with verse 15 and 16 by me kings reign who's writing this again king solomon By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love that as Solomon begins to talk about the value and the benefits of wisdom, he mentions what it can do for rulers. King Solomon knew that wisdom was the most important possession of any ruler. Isn't that exactly what he prayed for when God gave him a blank check? He said, I need wisdom to rule your people. He prayed for it. God gave it to him. And now as he is preparing his sons to take the throne, whenever that may be, he does it by explaining to them wisdom's importance in government. Is that still true today? Y'all don't really know how to answer that. You're thinking, is that, is that a trick question, Brother Matt? It's absolutely still true today. It's just not always followed, just like it wasn't always followed back then in the Old Testament. Rulers need God's wisdom to rule the best way they can. That's one reason why we need to pray for our leaders. Why we need to pray for those in authority. We're commanded to do that in the New Testament. Not all governments, not all officials seek or follow God's wisdom. But when they do, you have a just and a righteous rule. You don't see that a lot in this world. But we will one day. When Jesus Christ is king, you will have a ruler who is filled with wisdom. Who will never make a mistake who will never make an incorrect ruling. That's that's almost unbelievable to our mind now, knowing human governments. A perfect government. Because we've got a perfect king. When Jesus returns, he will rule in the wisdom of God. 
and his kingdom will be a righteous kingdom. In verse 17 through 21, let's read those verses and see the the next kind of set of, of benefits and values that wisdom offers. Verse 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The rest of these blessings here, we need to pause and and remember something else we learned a a few weeks ago about the blessings of wisdom Um, because sometimes we could read proverbs and we could sort of ask ourselves is this some sort of prosperity gospel Um, what's going on here with all these promises right and there's sort of a multi-facet answer to this and we looked at this but I want to remind you once again especially before we get into chapter 10 first thing to remember the first part of this answer is remember that proverbs didn't just drop in from the sky out of nowhere but it's in a context Right. It fits in the overall framework of the Old Testament, specifically with the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel was promised physical success as a blessing of obedience. When you have a chance, read Deuteronomy chapter 28, and you will read some incredible physical blessings. Incredible physical blessings that God promised them if they would obey. Now, the flip side of that is there were also consequences for disobedience. There were judgments that that could come upon them as well. But they were given amazing blessings or or, or the potential for that. So one aspect is just remember and consider the nation of Israel. Another aspect of this answer is that anything good you ever have in life comes from God. James said that in James chapter 1. God has the power to bless us physically. And he has every right to do that if he chooses. Everything good you have is a blessing from God. So don't, don't look at those good things as, as sort of a payment for your service, like you earned it. But God is gracious to us. that He may choose to bless us physically. And it's okay not to shy away from the fact that everything you have that's good is from God. Praise Him for that. Let other people know how blessed you are. That's a good way to witness to people is to show how thankful you are at what God's done for you. Third thing to remember is that we're studying Proverbs, not promises. Proverbs are generally true. That doesn't mean there are never exceptions. Sometimes unrepentant sinners enjoy a lot of physical success in this life. And sometimes people who are very moral and righteous are very poor and very downtrodden. The best example I can give you that is the wisest man who ever lived. Jesus was the wisest man ever. And he didn't experience a whole lot of physical prosperity on this earth. Say, well, was Solomon wrong then, Brother Matt? No. And that sort of leads us into the the last aspect of this answer is that the greatest blessings of God are spiritual and relational, not physical or material anyway. God has the power to bless you physically if he chooses, and he may very well do that. But even then, don't let that turn you into into some greedy mercenary that, ooh, I'm going to keep serving God so I keep getting stuff. 
the greatest blessings of God are not tangible anyway. Notice verse 19 and 20. I love what, um, or in verse 18, I'm sorry, as well. Notice this sort of juxtaposition that wisdom gives us. First in verse 18, she mentions riches, but then what? Honor. I'd much rather have riches than honor, right? Look at verse 18. Enduring wealth. Oh yeah, and righteousness too. We would love to follow wisdom if you could, if you could take out the honor and the righteousness and all that stuff. I just want the, I just want the riches, right? I just want this enduring wealth, brother Matt. I want those blessings. You can't put a price on honor. You can't put a price on righteousness and peace and joy and contentment and all those those spiritual blessings of God. How much are they worth? There's a lot of very wealthy people in this world. who have no peace and no joy in their lives because they don't know the Lord. Solomon's not a charlatan. These are blessings of wisdom. We don't have to shy away from these truths. If you live immorally, it'll cost you dearly. But if you follow God's wisdom, you will be blessed. It's worth it to serve God. All right, so let's just recap right quick. Uh, We looked at a lot. Um, through these verses, a lot that we've seen before as well. Um, the first thing, wisdom's available to you, calling you. Will you answer? God's revealed himself to you through his word, through his son. His spirit convicts you and draws you, but he's not going to force you to believe and he's not going to force you to obey. He respects your right to be wrong. Will you turn to God? Will you follow his wisdom and obey it? Next, remember that wisdom is more about obedience and morality than intelligence. If you want to know if someone's a a wise person or not, look at their life and see if they're moral. Look at their life and see if they're following God and serving him. That's a lot to do with fearing the Lord. All right, and then finally, wisdom is more valuable and more enriching than anything this life can offer. You can't put a price on what wisdom offers. And God's wisdom is first and only available through His Son. That's where your relationship with God starts. And then and only then can you really fully explore the wonderful depths of God's wisdom and living skillfully and with talent here in God's creation. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You so much for this reminder that Solomon gave us. Help us, Lord, to, to understand somehow better the, um, the priceless nature of your wisdom. And Lord, we pray that, that we will not just learn it, but that we will obey it. Lord, that we'll follow it. And God, I pray that you'll bless us if you see fit. Pray that you will bless us spiritually, bless our church, help us to be lives, uh, to live lives that are pleasing to you and that offer good witness and testimony to this world. Lord, forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.